0: Amen. Remain standing if you would. As you open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number 13, directly after Paul warns against false teachings, he then gives brief evidences of true uh, believers, uh, true teachings. Now, we looked at this in detail last week, and how that there are uh, various um, things that we ought to be aware of, and one of those things being that of um, the dogs, and again, not bow wow dogs, but uh, the uh, those who would not proclaim truth. We looked also at uh, those that we ought to be aware of being that of the concision or those who would mutilate the gospel. We looked at uh, at, at beware of evildoers, those who would purposely try to lead someone the wrong direction. Now, in this, uh, I, I believe Paul gives to us a glimpse into more than likely what his ministry endured as he would go from town to town, place to place, he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people would be saved. He would establish churches, and then when he moved on, apparently there were certain people who would then come in after that and try to, for lack of better grammar, correct his teaching, and they would make accusations about uh, what Paul was saying, and and Paul was kind of tired of hearing these that were known as the Judaizers and talking about their righteousness and how righteous they were, and he decides it's time to clean things up. Let's look at one verse of Scripture, Philippians chapter 3, verse number 7, and we'll, we'll get started in our message today. But what things were gain to me those I counted loss for Christ. Can you read that with me this morning? Verse number 7 of chapter 3, together. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Father, bless now the reading of your word to our minds, Father, to our hearts, and Father, our lives to its application. Father, help us to see you in these pages, because it's all about you. None of it is about me, but it's all about you. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I said, there were more than likely a group of people who would make their way through uh, the areas. So when when Paul would... Preach in a certain area, such as Galatia, or or in uh, 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 Corinth, or in Thyatira, something along those lines. Wherever he made his way during his missionary journeys, he would establish churches and would teach them true doctrine, and he would expound upon them the Scriptures. I believe the way he more than likely did that is he went uh, from town to town. He would step into uh, that day's synagogue. He would start to explain uh, what was going on. He would read with them uh, the passages of scripture and he would say, hey, what does this sound like? I can imagine him at the time when Isaiah 53 would roll around and he would start to talk about the suffering servant he would talk about uh, the one who was going to be despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he says, "Hey, do you remember this man that was despised and rejected?" When he gets to the passages in the Old Testament talking about looking upon him whom they pierced, it just kind of—I I can't help but m- my mind goes back to the day where Paul would have maybe looked at the at, at all the Jewish believers in the in the room at that time, or all the Jewish uh, uh, followers, and he would say, "Who?" Has been pierced. And they look back and they say, you know what? I think you're right. And these people would come to know Christ. Now, not only would he do this in the synagogues, but then as he was making his way through Greek areas, he would also present the gospel to the Gentiles. And as he's uh, uh, reaching these Gentile converts, non-Jewish converts, and he's teaching them about the God of the Bible, about the God of the Old Testament, the one who created the entire world and everything in it, came to earth, lived the perfect life, and died that horrific death. As they became believers, what would happen is you would have this group of what was referred to as Judaizers who did not like the idea of completely, uh, of, of completely doing away with certain traditions and practices. And so they would in, enter in and they would start to teach correct doctrine and theology. They would try to fix what Paul had messed up. Well, Paul lets them know, wait a minute. This is not accurate. This, what they're saying is not what's, uh, what is the true gospel. And he refers to them as the concision. The word concision means mutilators because they had this idea that, no, it's not just grace uh, by grace through faith alone. You have to also be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You're mutilating the gospel. We looked at that very closely when we went through our study in the book of Galatians. But right here, I believe that more than likely, these people who were coming along in, if you remember from the study in Galatians, Paul not only had to defend the gospel, he had to defend his apostleship. Because one of the accusations was Paul is not an apostle. One of the other accusations was Paul's gospel is not the true gospel. And then the third accusation that he had to defend in the book of Galatians is, Paul, your gospel leads to loose living. And he says no, and he defends it. So as you study the book of Galatians, you see his, his apostleship is true and is acceptable. His uh, The gospel that he preaches is the true gospel, and it leads to a righteous life. Now, this is something that we ought to pay close attention to because many times people believe in this idea that uh, you, know, you get saved and you continue to do how, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, live whatever way, and you're just sprinkling in God into your life. And you can continue to be whatever you are and however you are. You don't have to change. You just come to Christ and, and you just go about your business. That's not what the gospel teaches. The Bible says it this way, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Not only were they probably attacking his apostleship, but I believe that they were probably saying, well, he doesn't have the credentials we have. He doesn't, you see, he doesn't want uh, you looking at uh, things such as circumcision and a righteous life because he can't, he can't l- say that he lives the same kind of life we live. We live a certain way, and since he doesn't, he wants to just dismiss it all and put it all to the side. And Paul said, really? And so he needs to clear some things up real quickly. In verse number 7, he, he makes the statement, he says, But those things, what things were gained to me, those I counted, Loss. The word counted is used in the Greek perfect tense. Now, when you study the way that the Greek language works, you have the perfect tense, which means that not only is it a, is it a definite statement, but it is a statement that c- it shows something of completion and lasting. You know, we tell our kids sometimes, hey, if you do that, you can't undo it. You know, my wife and I were talking about the uh, 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 we, we were going to uh, do the roof, and we were trying to pick what color we were going to make the roof. And it's not like slapping paint on a wall, where if you don't like the color of paint, you can come back and you can paint over that. I told her, I said, "Babe, pick the color you want because once it's up, it's staying up. <laughs> I'm not going to re-roof the house." Yeah, you know, I'm just, just putting it out there. So we, we, we drove around, we were looking at, at roofs and everything, trying to find the same color house with the same color roof we were looking at. You see, sometimes what's done can't be undone, right? This is the idea that he's talking about when he says, those things which were gained to me, I counted. In other words, when I first came in contact with Christ... I saw those things that I thought were gain to me as loss. And I still do. I still count those things as loss. Paul's testimony was not in what he had done. Get this. Paul does not brag about what he has done in order to achieve salvation, what he has accomplished as far as his righteousness is concerned. Paul's testimony is not about him, but about Jesus Christ. And this is where a testimony ought to remain. I've, I've sat, and, I've, and maybe this is going to sound judgmental. Think of me what you want, but I have listened to testimonies where you sit there and you go, are you going to talk about Christ in any way, shape, or form during this, or is this all about you? Ian, you've been there. I'm sure you, I'm just the only one that's willing to say something about it. Now, the, but we sat there before and we listened and said, and so this is what I did and then this is what I did and then I did this too and then I did that and then one day I did this. And you like, really? <laughs> did Jesus come into play in this anywhere? One of the most famous preachers of all time, and his book is, is, is sells literally millions of copies worldwide, has over 20,000 people in his church on any given Sunday, and his entire book, trying to tell people about how to have their best life, has not one mention of the cross of Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. The testimony of a child of God points to Christ, not me. As we look at this, let's take a look at what Paul's testimony points out. Because he points out that his achievements can rival that of anyone else, but he does not trust in his achievements. Look with me at verse number 5. This is, uh, Paul, actually go back to verse 4 so we get the, uh, uh, we get the context here. He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man uh, think that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Let's take a look at that real quickly this morning as as we kind of comb through this and see how can this apply to us personally because we need to take heed as to what Paul's saying and what would be something that would be equivalent to today's day and time and what we might say, well, that counts for my salvation because the question must come in, uh, how do you know that you're saved? I like talking with folks, and I like asking them just a simple series of questions. One of my favorite things I've told you before is to ask people, what, what's your plans next? And then they'll say, well, especially young people when they're you know, going to school and they're getting ready to enter college, well, what are you going to do after that? Well, I, I, I'm getting ready to graduate high school. Okay, what about after that? I'm going to college. What about after that? I'm going to get a job. What about after that? I'm going to get married. What about after that? I'm going to have kids. What about after that? And you just kind of keep moving down through the line. Well, eventually they go, well, I'm going to retire. Well, what about after that? I guess I'm going to die. They just, you know, you get get them to that place where they're just, ah, quit asking me. Well, I guess I'm going to die. What about after that? This is what we need to focus on. And I've asked people time and time again, they say, well, I, 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 I don't know. And say, well, well, you know <laughs> the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. That's what's after. How are you going to fare that day? Well, I, you know, uh, are you asking if I'm going to go to heaven? Well, I, I guess if you want to put it in terms of a destination, Sure. Well, I, I think I'm going to go to heaven. Well, how do you know? And I've heard people give me answers of, well, I was baptized at such and such a church, or I, I'm a good person, or I give money to these causes, or I do this, or I think God's just going to... No, stop. There's only one answer that's acceptable. And Paul is outlining that for us right here in this passage. Clear-cut presentation Of the gospel. Look what he says, very beginning of verse 5 circumcised the eighth day. Paul's parents were religious, Paul's parents were church going people, so to speak. Paul's parents raised him in church. Paul's parents did all the right stuff. They had him in all the right places at all the right times. It lets us know. He says, my parents were so, so uh, strict and so dedicated, so devoted to God, they did not have me before or after they were on the dot. Circumcised eighth day. This was a testimony of the parents more than the person. Circumcision wasn't what brought righteousness to a person. It was actually the parents entrusting that child to the, to the, to God. It was the parents being obedient to God. It was the parents enacting their faith. That's why they would bring their child to be circumcised at a specific time in their life. It was an act of faith on behalf of the parents. And so Paul lets it to be known, I was raised in a godly home. You know, there's a lot of people that they believe that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ because they were raised in a godly home. Religious upbringing cannot save you. You know, there are certain sects today that believe that, uh, well, I I can remember one person making the statement, I'm a birthright Quaker. I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Well, since I was born a Quaker, I'm automatically taken care of. Can't find that in the Bible, but okay. Your religious upbringing does not save you, cannot save you, will not save you. Only Christ can save. Paul lets it be known that his religious upbringing, circumcised the eighth day, what did he say in verse number seven? I counted that loss. Doesn't mean anything. And someone said, Well, come on, Pastor. Yeah, it, raising your kids in a godly home, that means something. As far as your salvation is concerned, uh uh-uh. Jesus Christ, that's what saves. If my children ever get in their minds because they were raised in a pastor's home, that means that they know Christ as their personal Savior. Oh, I have failed miserably as a father. Look at number two. He says, uh, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. You know, Paul and his family were not proselyte Jews. They were Jewish by birth. That meant something very uh, significant to them in that day. Proselyte means I was not raised in this and then came to Judaism. I was raised in Judaism because I was born Jewish. My parents were Jewish. All of my family, we can trace our heritage all the way back. Not only does he say that, he actually brings it of the tribe of Benjamin. He knows where his tribe is. Understand this. Your affiliations, your group belongings, where you call uh, your people, who you call your people, does not save. It cannot save. Only Christ can save. You see, some believe that church membership is their salvation. I'm sorry, but that's not true. Well, I belong to such and such church, and so I'm saved. No, that's not the case. Now, someone will say, oh, okay, so you're saying church membership is not important. No, it's not at all what I'm saying. I think you ought to seek church membership. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, it is is only right to attach yourself uh, to the local New Testament (laughs) church. It is not something that we ought to go through alone. He says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He says that we ought to do this as a family. He says we are all part of the body of Christ, and and we, we ought to find our place because everybody has different gifts. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, you have something that the Holy Spirit of God wants want you to do to help the body of Christ, to, to, to help further that local New Testament church. Well, I'm saved, but I don't want to be part of something. Okay, but you're missing out. Missing out. People say, well, what's the big deal about missing, you know, church? You remember when Jesus first appeared to hit the twelve? Well, it wasn't the whole 12. He first appeared after his, after his resurrection, and Thomas wasn't there. And he shows up, and can you put yourself in Thomas's shoes? He shows up, and, and, and all the other guys are going, Oh, Thomas, he was here. You wouldn't believe. We got together, we were praying, and God showed up. And he says, What? He missed it. He missed it. But church membership does not save you. Nor does your ancestry or tradition. Your ancestry cannot save you. This is what he was referring to here in in, in verse number five, the third thing. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of You see, the tribe of Benjamin stayed true to God. It was them and Judah. Those were the only two tribes that stayed true to God during that time of the split. And he says, Not only am I Jewish and can trace my heritage back, but we're one of the good ones. I'm not a Reubenite, I'm not a Gadite, I'm not a Danite, I'm a Benjaminite. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the good ones. Please understand something. Many today take pride in their traditions and who they think they are. That cannot save you. Your ancestry, what you've done through the past does not save you. Look at the fourth thing in this and he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. So what's this mean? He had position. He had prominence. He had status. He was known. Can I say this? Position and prestige or your achievements cannot save. You know, people seek many times status over Jesus Christ. They see things like, Well, why doesn't the pastor ever call on me to do this? Or why doesn't the pastor ever do this for me? And I and, and I, I would have liked to have been the one to teach that class. And I would have liked to have been the one to sing that special. And I would have liked to have been the one. Wait a minute. Do we want Christ? Or do we want status? Paul said, I had it. And I count it but loss. N- notice something else in this. Number Five, he says it this way, as touching the law of Pharisee, these were the fundamentalists of that day. Now, you might hear that term fundamentalist, and you're thinking, well, what in the world is fundamentalist? in other words, you, you, we talk about how you've got uh, uh, you 've got your liberal and you 've got your conservative camps and I'm of this group. Those guys are crazy. We don't... <laughs> I am one of the fundamentals. Those people, pray for them. Now, we can look at this in many different realms, maybe in political schemes or even within the household of faith. Well, I don't sing that kind of music. I only, I don't watch that type of TV. All I do is read Leviticus and pray. That's my life. I don't, he smiled in church. How dare he? When you go to church, you should have a grimace. You should look like you've just been punched in the stomach. And you don't say a word. And when the preacher preaches, it should be boring because I came for a nap. No. Paul was of the conservative group. Paul was one of the fundamentalists. Paul was one of the ones, have you ever turned the TV on or the radio on and you're listening to a preacher and the preacher says something you're going, hold the phone, that doesn't sound right. And you switch over and go, okay, now this guy I can listen to. This sounds right. That was Paul's group. Paul's group was the one that was, they were preaching as best they could, I believe. Now, they had gotten mixed up. Don't misunderstand. They had gotten some things. They had put the cart before the horse. And do we not do the same thing today? That that preacher... He didn't wear a tie. And he calls himself a preacher. (laughs) Yeah, We do that kind of stuff too. Paul said, I was a Pharisee. Not just one of the learned, but one of the ones teaching the learned. I was a teacher of the teachers. Your level of knowledge, get this. Your level of biblical knowledge does not save you if it's not applied to the heart. I know a lot of people who are well versed in the Bible, but they don't know the God of the Bible. I know a lot of people, and I've talked with a lot of. Uh, there was one gentleman that I was talking to. This has been several years ago now, and, and I mean, I mean to tell you, he knew his Bible. And he would say, well, what about this passage when it says this? And what about this passage when it says this? And I said, I'm blown away by your knowledge of the Bible. It's sad that you don't know the one behind it. There's a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge. I I grew up in church. Me. And by the time I was 12 years old, I would memorized over 900 verses. I was in the Bible programs. I was in the Bible quizzes. I had quizzed out of the Bible quizzes. I was the one that came home with all the medals and with all the trophies. I was that kid. The one all the other kids looked at and go, ugh. I was that kid. But it didn't become true to me until later in life. Your level of biblical knowledge cannot save you. Only Christ can save you. I want you to take a look at one more thing with me here. A couple more, actually. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. You know, your level of knowledge may not be able to save you. And guess what else? Your devotion to your stances cannot save you. Well, I zealously won't do this, won't do that, won't go here, won't go there. I, I, I tell you, have you ever talked with the, with a folk with some of the folks that they're like, uh, uh, well, you know if. Uh, if you go out to eat and you go to a restaurant that has alcohol, you are sinning. You should not go to a restaurant that serves alcohol because you are you are just downright. How dare you? And it's like, well, do you go to Giant Eagle? Yes? <laughs> Guess that's acceptable.. <laughs> now think about it for a minute. A lot of people, they will. They, I have my stance, and I'm staunch in it. Paul said, "I zealously persecuted the church." You know why he persecuted the church? He honestly thought that he was doing God's work. He thought he was getting rid of a, a blasphemous, false group of uh, of people. And he felt that I have to get rid of them. I have to wipe them out. I have to annihilate them for God's sake. What? Wait a minute here. This this is someone who is zealously persecuting the church. He is doing everything in his power. He's trying his best to get. Wait a minute. Sincerity doesn't automatically mean you're right. Paul says, I zealously the church. You know, many measure their Christianity and others' Christianities by what they are against. I'm standing outside of a clinic holding a sign. What are you doing? I was trying to talk to the young lady who just came out brokenhearted. I'm, I'm going to attack those people. They're killing people. I'm going to try to be a vision to Christ to that young lady who just came out crying. Your zeal does not automatically mean you're saved. Look at the next one here. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, and then touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. This is the last one, and we're going to get ready to wrap up Paul was not claiming perfection there was nothing in his life however that could be seen as blamable seen as breaking the law you see Paul was sincere in his unbelief he was sincere In what he was doing, and he honestly tried to live a life that is completely blameless. He was the guy that took to the extra degree to flee the appearance of evil. He said, No one can accuse me of any wrongdoing. As far as the law is concerned, I kept the Sabbath. I never ate anything that I wasn't supposed to eat. I went through all the pur- purification rituals. I, I, I have never cheated. I've never, I've never stolen anything. And he, he said, as far as everybody else concer- is concerned, in the public eye, the public mind, I am blameless. What accusation can they make against me? They can make none. Understand something, the public view, how people see you, your goodness cannot save you. And then Paul says there in verse 7, after going through all of this, he says, what things were gained to me? I counted loss. Why? For Christ. When Christ enters the picture, everything else, pales in comparison. Everything else <laughs> is seen as dung. Notice what he says. Go back with me into verse number four, please. It says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I mourn. Paul listed for you seven things that he could have bragged about. He could have put his confidence in. And this is what many people do today. They put their confidence and their faith in something that is not Jesus Christ. Well, I got baptized one day, Pastor. Good, you got wet. Next subject. I prayed a prayer one day, Pastor. Good, you prayed a prayer. Were you following Christ or just repeating some words? Well, I go to church. Good. Sometimes I go down the street to a mechanic's garage. Doesn't make me a Maserati. Doesn't even make me a Pinto. Well, Pastor, I, I was raised in a Christian home. Praise God for godly parents. That's not salvation. If anyone could brag, Paul could. But he pointed out that a true believer does not trust in the flesh. Do you remember that from last week? Look at verse uh, 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. No amount of good works, no attendance record, no amount of money, none of that can save. The only thing that can save is Jesus Christ. And if you're trusting in anything else, you are putting your confidence in the flesh. It's Christ. It's Christ alone. It has to be that. I love the song we sang a little bit ago. In Christ alone, all hope is found. Is that where your hope is found today? Or is your hope found in what you do? So the question, how do you know you're saved? Must come into play. If the answer is anything other than the grace of God. Because Paul said it this way. There is none that seeketh after God. Well. When I was young. I started on a trip. And I sought. I guess that verse is null and void then. No. The grace of God hath appeared to all men. God wooed your heart. And you're saved. The grace of God. There's nothing good about me. <laughs> I'm the last person I would have saved if I was God. <laughs> like, well, I'll die for everybody, but that guy, mm-hmm. I might die for these people over here, but uh, not him. He's a punk. The grace of God. How do you know that you're saved? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Not my righteousness. Not my good works. Not what I can accomplish. But what He accomplished for me. Father, we present ourselves before You, Lord, for inspection at this time. And Father, what we ask is that You would touch our hearts in a way that, Father, only You can. Father, that You would be seen in our lives, Father, as, as real God in heaven, our eyes would be opened to the person of Jesus Christ. Our minds would be, uh, would be completely open to His truth. Father, show to us us. Help us to see ourselves right. Father, there's nothing special, nothing, uh, nothing about me. Father, it's all about Your Son. Father, help us to see that. Help us to see how gracious You are, how merciful, how loving, how long-suffering. And Father, that we would choose this day whom we will serve. Father, if there's any here that do not know You as Savior, I pray today would be the day that they meet You. Father, if there's any here that's been maybe growing cold Father, that today would be the day where their fire is rekindled anew. Father, we pray these things in Your Son's name for His sake. Amen. Stand with me if you would, head still bowed and eyes still closed. Perhaps you're here today and you would have a desire to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe... Maybe while the message is going, something that was specific in your mind and you, you thought, that, that's me, I've been trusting in that. but I need to trust in Him. I'm tired of trusting in how good I can be. I'm tired of trusting in what I can do or what achievements I've made. I'm tired of trusting in all that. I just simply want to trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, preacher, if He's half of what you say He is, I want to know Him. If that's you this morning and you just want to slip your hand up, just say, preacher, that's me. I want to know more about the God you're talking about. Just slip your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. It won't come back and grab you. I see that. Maybe you'd be honest and say, pastor, I don't know him as Savior. I got questions. I'm not sure if I want to know him. I'm not sure. But I, all I do know is I got questions. And I want to talk. You just want to slip your hand up and say, hey, that's me. Get in touch with me sometime. Let's get together. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. I might even buy you two. Perhaps you'd like to come to this altar. Place your trust in Jesus Christ today. Ask Him for strength to carry you through the rest of your week. The altar's wide open. We have rows up here of chairs that would be a wonderful place for you to bend a knee and talk to Him. Perhaps you're here and you'd like to talk with someone about church membership. I I need to get this started let me know. I would love to do that. Maybe there's some other decision. Maybe you've never been scripturally baptized. You want to get that taken care of. Now is the time. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your love. We thank You for Your Son. We pray, Father, that we would take these truths and we would apply them to our heart and our life. Father, that we would be people given to Christ. We pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen.